you here at the EU public meeting? Can you hear me up the back right? Katie, can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me now? I'll just talk in a normal voice and don't yell. Fantastic. Um, and I need to not walk away from here because we're live streaming today, correct? Hello? <laughs> That's it. That's all you're getting. Right, now. Uh, I, if you've seen me around the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been walking around with big white bandages over my face because I'm in the middle of a, an extended sort of some quality time with my GP who's in the process of you know, practicing his scalpel skills by cutting out random skin cancers out of my face. Uh, if you've seen me around, he's had, well, he's had three goes so far and we're waiting for the fourth go. Anyway, today I'm blessedly bandage free, which is nice for me. But that's why I'm growing this beard because I'm too afraid to shave anymore because there's so much stuff going on. However, I think that this for me has been a really good example of what I think is a, a common, maybe even universal human condition. And I'm not talking cancerous skin cells. I think the deeper common human condition that maybe this is but an example of is this. We are very good as human beings at functionally ignoring facts until reality bites. When I say functionally ignoring facts, what I mean is I've always known that the sun burns skin. I know that. And I also know that when the sun burns skin, that can develop skin cancers. But in the long term, I, these are not new information for me. These are facts that I've known. But functionally, especially up until I was 20, I pretty much lived ignoring that fact. And guess what? Turns out that you do all the damage to your skin before you're 20. It's just that the skin cancers don't appear for another three decades. But functionally, I just ignored those facts. And now, reality has bitten, or cut, or something, anyway, into me. You, you're probably pretty good at this too, not maybe with sunscreen, but if I just say, how's your university study going at the moment? Are you sort of pretty good at functionally ignoring the fact of those little quizzes that they call exams coming your way, those assessments that are looming? Are you functionally just ignoring those facts and just partying like there's no exams tomorrow? Or have you moved to the second phase? Has reality bitten? And you're going, oh my goodness, and you're just freaking out and working. But yeah, we, we do this all the time, right? We functionally ignore the facts until reality bites. I think if you call yourself a Christian person, we can do it as Christians as well. We functionally ignore God facts, truths from God and about God. We, f we know they're true. We even believe them. But functionally we live as though they weren't true. Until one day, reality bites, reality strikes. Today, I think we're going to explore how it might be that as, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, how it might be that as Christians, we sometimes functionally ignore the God fact of the resurrection. Your future bodily resurrection. We're going to explore how that might be playing out in your life, in my life today. Why are we talking about the resurrection? Why am I introducing this topic well because here in the EU at the public meetings throughout this year we've been looking in different sort of fits and spurts across the year we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians and in particular we're now up to chapter 15 
Now, there's only 16 chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians, and chapter 15 is big. There's 58 verses. It's a big chapter. So we're going to spend two weeks looking at, at chapter 15, and it does come as a climax to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And so because this chapter is all about the resurrection, that's why I'm exploring this question of, might it be that as Christian people, we very easily functionally ignore the fact of our future resurrection as we live following Jesus. So let's uh, have a look to see where I get this from. A couple of points will come up on the screen. Oh, this is Paul's big point. I should mention this. Paul's big point in this chapter is this. Stand firm in believing and living the resurrection. Not just believing that it's true, but functionally embracing that truth. Believing and living the resurrection. That's Paul's big point. So let's see how he develops this point. First of all, there's a problem that he has to address. If you've got your Bible there, great time to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Call it up on your phone. I'm going to sort of point out various things, so it'd be great if you could follow along or maybe look on with the person next to you. Have a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's have a look at verse 12. Notice what Paul says here. He says, But if it is preached that Christ, that's Jesus Christ, has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Notice what's going on. There's obviously some Christians there in this church in Corinth who are claiming that there is no resurrection of the dead. They probably mean there is no future resurrection of people from the dead. Now, why might they say that? We don't know. We're not told why they might have come to this particular belief. It could be that they are influenced by Greek and Roman philosophy of the day. This is back in the first century, which you know, influence or by Plato and others was much more interested in the spiritual and regarded the body as somehow corrupted, as somehow not as good as the spiritual. And so therefore, instead of a bodily resurrection being our future, maybe they'd embrace the idea of escaping the body as really what God would want for you and you becoming some sort of free soul or spirit. Maybe that's what was going on. We don't know, but what we do know is that they were denying the future resurrection. There's no resurrection from the dead, they were saying. Paul draws a, a, a strong implication about this. If you look in the chapter, move to chapter uh, verse 33 and 34, he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And then he appeals to them, Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Notice he said back in verse 12, there are some who say there is no resurrection from the dead. He's saying, if you're denying the resurrection from the dead, it seems that you're actually being, you're ignorant of God and his plans. You're ignorant of the God facts. You need to come back to your senses and embrace those God facts. And he says it to their shame because, well, they're meant to be Christians. They're meant to be followers of the one true living God. So he's trying to call them back to these God facts. In this case, the resurrection of the dead. Now, my guess is that if you're a Christian person, you've probably, you probably believe in the resurrection of the dead. It's standard Christian belief because it's taught here in the Christian scriptures. However, this idea that there is no future bodily resurrection, that's not agreed to, actually, by all Christians even today. Let me share with you this particular quote from this guy, David L. Edwards. 
he passed away a couple of years ago. He was a priest in the Church of England, and this is what he said. Many people find it extremely difficult or impossible to believe that one day they will be given bodies which, although physically identical or continuous with their corpses, will be able to burst forth from the tomb, etc. This belief involves the idea that one day God will cancel all the laws, regularities or patterns which have made up the framework of this universe so far over about 20,000 million years. The implications are that bodies will be reassembled from whatever fragments may remain long after burial or cremation and will then be reanimated and released to walk around a planet which, like those bodies, will never be subject to any further decay, making everything unimaginably like our present bodies and the earth on which we walk. And unless this stupendous, all-transforming miracle is to include only a tiny fraction of the human race, there seems to be the prospect of an inglorious overcrowding. Is such scepticism about the physical side of the New Testament's pictures of our resurrection compatible with the full acceptance of the message that our personalities can be raised from death by the power of God? I believe that it is. Notice what he said so far. He said, can you be sceptical about a physical resurrection and yet still hold on to the somehow that God would raise us as personalities? Is it possible to hold, be both sceptical about the physical but hold on to the idea of a resurrection? He says, yes, I believe it is. And then look what he says. And unless it is seen to be that is compatible to do that, the message itself, the gospel, will be believed by fewer and fewer people. He's saying if you're going to hold to a physical resurrection as it's described in the New Testament, no one's going to believe that message. It would mean, because for a physical resurrection means God has to overturn all of the sort of basic laws of science, the laws that hold the universe together. It, you have to let go of the New Testament description of a physical future resurrection. Hold on to the idea of a resurrection of your personality somehow in the power of God. That way, the gospel is believable. There is no future resurrection, see? This is a good example of what we call liberal theology. Not liberal political party, liberal theology that says it's not the scriptures themselves that are the ultimate authority. It's human reason that is the ultimate authority that reads the scripture but then decides, judges over the scripture, the way things really are. This is not what the EU, the Evangelical Union, believes. We believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority in all matters of faith and conduct. But I raise this with you because to show that there are people out there who say they are followers of Jesus but who are denying future resurrection. This is not actually just a first century problem. This is very much a 21st century problem. Now, my guess is if you're sitting here today and if you're a follower of Jesus, my guess is that for most people in the room who are followers of Jesus, we probably don't deny the future resurrection. But I do wonder, as I said before, I do wonder if functionally we often live as though it weren't true, as though the future resurrection has very little present impact upon me. 
I want to raise a question mark over that. Because if the resurrection is true, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, that really does change everything. If he really walked out of the grave, alive, resurrected, immortal, that really does change everything. That's the future breaking into the present. And if it's the future breaking into the present, that's got to shape not just our future, that's got to shape our present. Does it shape your present? Has his resurrection changed everything? Or functionally, do we ignore that God fact? We believe it, but do we live like it's true? What would that look like if you did? That's what we're going to explore. Now, this, is, this chapter is Paul's basic response then to this problem, the denial of future resurrection. Now, he builds a case in this chapter by going back to foundations. He starts with something that he hopes they're not going to disagree with. He starts with an area of agreement. So go back to the beginning of the chapter. Go back to verse 1, our second point. He goes back to foundations and he points out that the resurrection of Jesus... Let's, let's start with the resurrection of Jesus. Let's leave alone for a minute our future resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is central to the gospel that they and we have believed. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 15. He says there, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, that is, you accepted, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So he's reminding them of this message that they heard from him and that, he, that they accepted, and which he says, it's only by holding to this gospel that you will be saved. If you walk away from this gospel, then you'll believe some other gospel and you won't be saved. So this is really important, these truths. What, then are, what is this gospel? Have a look from verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Notice what he said there. It's not that he created this gospel. He said, no, no, I received this and then I pass it on to you as of first importance. This is, this is prime. This is central. This is core. And what is this gospel? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared. I think there's a deliberate pattern there. Christ died on the cross for our sins and was buried and people, people, there were eyewitnesses to his burial. They saw where he was buried. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and he appeared. There were lots of eyewitnesses to his resurrection and then he lists a whole bunch of them. He says he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, that's the closest sort of set of Jesus' followers, the twelve apostles. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I think he emphasises that, saying, if, if you are in any doubt of this, you can talk to some of those 500. Most of them are still alive. You can go and ask them, is this true, what we heard from Paul, that really Jesus was raised from the grave and that he actually appeared? Yep. The eyewitnesses are still around. You can go and talk to them if you like. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. This is his gospel summary. Why is Jesus' resurrection 
so core to this gospel, this good news announcement. It's not hard to work out. That Jesus is alive is just jaw-droppingly awesome. That Jesus was dead but is now alive, that is amazing. Has that ever happened to anyone else that they were dead and then resurrected to new, immortal, physical, flesh and blood life? That's never happened, but it happened to him. And you can talk to the eyewitnesses, Paul says. This is just jaw-droppingly amazing news. The other day I was standing in a graveyard and you're just walking through a grave. Grave, 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 or, or dead person, dead person, dead person, dead person. We don't, even as I say that, I'm worried that that might be triggering for you, genuinely, right? Because we don't, we re- death is awful. Death is full of grief. Death is full of sadness. Even when the person knows and loves Jesus and we know that their future is assured, there's still the grief of loss. But death is awful. So that's why we don't like to talk about it. Jesus was dead. He was lying in one of those graves. And then he came to life and walked out. That's amazing. I I just think, don't you think everyone should know that? Don't you think that there's probably tens of thousands of people at this university who would be astounded to know that that actually happened? That actually escape from death is possible? This is astounding good news. An astounding gospel. We proclaim not an idea about this person Jesus, not a philosophy. We proclaim a living saviour. We proclaim a living Lord. And we proclaim to people, if you come to him who walked out of his tomb, one day you will walk out of your tomb. You and I are going to end up in one of those graves. That's okay. It's a consequence of sin. But if you come to him who walked out of his grave, you will walk out of your grave. That is amazingly good news. Uh, Many years ago at EU's annual conference, I don't know if you went to annual conference this year, uh, we spent the whole week thinking about resurrection. And um, I don't know, I mean, I shared lots of truths from God's word that week and I hope some of it sort of sunk in with people, but I... Uh, there was only one thing that people seem to remember because there was at one particular point in the week where I just said, Jesus is not a concept, Jesus is alive. He's alive today. And I, the reason I think that sort of, God used that to sort of really sort of um, take root in some people's hearts and minds was because some people made me a T-shirt after the conference. And this is the actual T-shirt that they made me Quality screen printing here. <laughs> Jesus is not a concept, it says. Jesus is alive. Maybe the lamest bit of uh, EU merch ever produced uh, in terms of quality, but you know what? I'm going to wear it. I'm going to wear it right now. Now, 
not out of not to honour them who made it, though you know their dear sisters and brothers, but because, and not because it's you know the flashiest thing EU's ever produced, but because this is true. Yes, Jesus is not a concept. He's alive. Has that truth lodged in your brain? You're not praying to some idea, some cloud. Jesus is alive. You're not hoping vaguely that God sort of knows what's going on. Jesus is alive. Now, the Corinthians probably didn't dispute the fact that Jesus was alive. The problem was that they decided to deny that there was a future resurrection for Christians. So look to see what Paul does next. Jesus' resurrection, he says, is inextricably entwined with our future resurrection. Right? He's building a case. He starts with, this is the gospel I preached to you. Jesus' resurrection is central. You accepted that. Now he's saying the next stage of the case, Jesus' resurrection is inextricably linked to our resurrection. You can't have one without the other. And if you believe Jesus is alive, well, then that means our there is a future resurrection. That's his argument. This happens in two parts. First of all, he says, uh, no resurrection. If you're going to say, no, there's no resurrection at all, if you're saying there's no resurrection at all, then that means Jesus can't have been raised. But if Jesus is not alive, Christian faith is just useless. useless. It's futile. It's in vain. Have a look at verses 12 to 14 of chapter 15 there. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Why is that? If Jesus is not alive, why is Christian preaching useless? Well, partly because Christian preaching, the preaching of the gospel says he is alive, so it's a lie. But why is your faith futile? His answer is, because if Jesus is not alive, you're not saved. You're still stuck in sin. Have a look at what he says in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Why still in your sins? Hang on. If, if Jesus died on the cross, isn't the cross the answer to my sin problem? Because he dies there taking the penalty and punishment for my sin. Why is it that I need Jesus to be alive to be saved from my sins? Well, the answer is because when you're saved, you have to you're saved from something to something. So we all go to the beach, right? Because who cares about those quizzes? Let's just live functionally ignorant of the fact that they're coming, right? We go to the beach, we spend a nice time there, but then you end up in difficulty in the water. Fortunately, Bree is a fantastic lifesaver. I don't know if that's true. Don't trust that. But, um, but just, and Bree goes out and she, to rescue you. And when she rescues you and she saves you, she saves you out of the water onto the land, right? To be rescued is to move out of one place of danger into somewhere safe. Jesus' death and resurrection affects that rescue, that salvation for you. If he's not alive... You've got nothing to be saved into. 
Because Jesus' resurrection life is the new life that you live as a follower of Jesus. The new life where sin is no longer your master. The new life where you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The new life where you have a relationship with God as your Heavenly Father. If you take away Jesus' resurrection, you lose all of that. And you're stuck still in the consequences of your sin. You've got nowhere to be rescued to. If Jesus is not alive, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Paul then goes on the positive. But, he says, Jesus has been raised and his resurrection secures your resurrection. They are inextricably (coughs) intertwined. Have a look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. The firstfruits are the, the, literally the first fruits that come from the harvest, right? You go to the shops, the first mangoes of the season, you can see them there. They try to sell you a box of mangoes for about a million dollars, like, because it's the first fruits of the season. What's so significant about the first fruits apart from their profit margin? What's significant is that it indicates a massive harvest is coming. I go there, I look at the first fruits, and I say, well, I, I can't afford that box of mangoes, but I tell you, you can almost taste those mangoes. They're the mighty harvest to come. Don't misquote me here. Jesus' resurrection is the first box of mangoes, right? No, that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of the mighty harvest to come. The resurrection from the dead. Not one person. All who have believed in him. I'm sort of doing this wrong, aren't I? I should do it like this. Here's the harvest. All who have believed in him, as he walked out of the grave, the first fruits, you will walk out of that grave. You will be resurrected when he comes. Jesus is the first fruits. We are, it is intertwined. You can't have the first fruit without the harvest. You get the harvest after the first fruit. Inextricably intertwined. Right, now, hand up if you've got um, a nephew or a niece. Not many of you have kids yet, but some of you have nephews and nieces, right? Just a, just a, a hint. When you've got nephews and nieces, uh, you, you, need, you need little fun things to keep them sort of engaged, entertained, right? You're the uncle, you're the aunt, you're, you're the cool uncle and aunt, right? So you've just got to do stuff to make them laugh. I gotta, you know this finger trick? You do this one? You know this one? Watch. No! They love that one. They absolutely love that. That's for free. I'm giving you that one for free. Um, uh, it traumatises them. Oh, I don't think so. I don't actually think it traumatises them, but they are sort of intrigued. Um, I'm going to give you another one. Ready? But I want you... We're going to do this one together. Ready? You go like this. Get two fingers like this. Ready? Right? Look at that. I moved from I moved from two fingers to in slow motion. Like that, right? Two into five. Let's try it again, ready? Here we go, ready? Uh, uh, I can't remember, is it a three or four? I could do you do it on three? Let's do it on three, I forgot. Right, one, two, 
Look at that. I move my fingers from one hand to the other. They will love it. You think it's... Now, this. I want you to get this in your head. This. What is this? This is Jesus' resurrection and your resurrection. Inextricably intertwined. You cannot separate them. As surely as Jesus was raised from the grave, you will be too if you put your trust in him. Inextricably intertwined. So whenever you see that, that's, that's you and that's him raised. How good is this gospel? How good is this massive good news announcement from God? Death is undone. Death is undone. I used to be a church pastor and one of the things you do as a church pastor is you take lots of funerals. Funerals, as I say, are always sad. There's always a sense of loss whether the person knows the Lord or not. But it was particularly sad when I had to take funerals for people who, whose family didn't know the Lord Jesus. They had not the hope that comes knowing Jesus' resurrection and ours. And so the best that could be offered when people stand up to give their eulogies, the best that could be offered was usually vague, wishful thoughts. Like, I'm sure they're up there somewhere looking down on us, just laughing now. Or vague, wishful thinking was the, be- was the best that they could latch on to. The Christian good news message is not vague and wishful. It's concrete and real. Jesus rose from the dead. And so will all those who put their trust in him. Death is undone. It no longer has the victory. No, God has a plan that he's already put into operation, which we'll talk more about next week. Jesus has already walked out of the grave. Well, finally, Paul then moves on to talk about how Christian living is shaped by this future resurrection. Remember I said his big point in this chapter is Stand firm in believing and living the resurrection. So he's shown them why they need to believe this resurrection because Jesus' resurrection and theirs is inextricably intertwined. And now he points out that you need to actually let this shape your life. Christian living, he says, is in vain, it's pointless, if there is no future resurrection. You can see this in verse 29. He says there, now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? Now this is a little bit confusing. What is this baptism of the dead or baptism for for the dead he's talking about? The reality is we're not sure. Clearly Paul knew what he was talking about and he expected that the Corinthians would understand. So this seems to be some sort of practice that was going on in the Christian community which was based around, a practice based around, the hope of the resurrection. And he's saying, Christian practice of this baptism for the dead makes no, makes no sense if actually we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But also, as he goes on in verse 30, and as for us, 
Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If I die every day. I mean that, brothers and sisters, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So there in verse 33 to 32, he's saying, as I go about this work of sharing the gospel of Jesus, as I travel as this sort of missionary church planner all around the Mediterranean, sort of trying to share the good news of Jesus, why am I enduring such hardship and suffering if there's not the future resurrection? When he talks about fighting wild beasts in Ephesus, uh, some of the sort of academic commentators get a bit troubled by that. They go, oh, hang on, when we look at the book of Acts, nowhere does it mention that Paul actually had to fight wild beasts. So maybe this is a metaphor. Maybe the wild beasts in Ephesus are actually opponents, people who he's sort of turning into a metaphor, the wild beasts of Ephesus. Well, who knows? But, I mean, it's quite possible, actually, in Paul's day and age, as he was travelling around, going from place to place, there were wild animals. I mean, it's the first century, right? There are lions in that part of the world back in the first century. He quite possibly, as he's just trying to go from place to place to plant churches and share the gospel of Jesus, he had to fight wild beasts at some point. He's saying, why am I doing this crazy stuff? Just go back to Tarsus and live a nice life as a tent maker. Why am I enduring if there's no... We may as well just eat and drink. Tomorrow we're dead. He embraces the work of the Lord because of the resurrection. Which is where he lands the chapter right at the very end. Have a look at verse 58. Right at the very end. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm... That is, stand firm in this belief about the resurrection. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully, or literally always abound, in the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Because if there's no resurrection from the dead, then this Christian, this Christian gospel, us talking about Jesus, it is in vain, right? Because your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, if there's no resurrection. But you say, no, but Jesus has been raised. You and him, your, your resurrection is intertwined, guaranteed by his. Talking about the gospel is not in vain. All that you do for Jesus is not in vain. And because of that future, always abound in the work of the Lord. Because in the Lord it's not in vain. In fact, this is the good news that the world needs to hear. Um, many years ago, I had the real privilege of... Uh, my wife and I, Jenny and I, we spent some time in India working uh, in a school for missionary kids for a year. Fantastic year. But part of that, we had to accompany some kids who lived in Nepal. Their parents were uh, doing work of the Lord in Nepal. Had to accompany them from southern India all the way to Nepal. Long, long journey. So we landed in Nepal. It's monsoon season. Don't go to Nepal in monsoon season if you actually want to see the Himalayas. Because you don't see them. Because there's clouds all the time. But then one day, we were in a bus. And the clouds parted just for a moment. And suddenly we could see the Himalayas, and they are amazing. Like it was, and so we rushed to the side of the bus. We've got our phones out. We're taking photos. Oh, look at the taking photos. Of one of our one of our crew, his name is Mark. He, you know, oh, oh, yeah, 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 David. It was only later when he's looking at the photos, he's going, mountains. Going okay, here. Well, like, what, what did you, what do you think we were taking photos of? He said, oh, well, I thought you guys were getting all excited about the sheep. Just on the, on the green pasture on the other side of the road. He is so short-sighted, he couldn't see the mountains. 
he was just following the crowd and taking the photos and until he looks at his phone and he goes, oh, wow, how, did you guys really? Yeah. I sometimes think we, we are the short-sighted ones. You're going to walk out of the grave. Jesus is going to come back. Your resurrection and his, has that shaped your present? Paul says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always abound in the work of the Lord because in the Lord your labour for him is not in vain. This is good news that people need to hear. So, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Functionally, do you actually believe it? Do you live it? Have you forgotten that Jesus is alive? He's not a concept. He's alive. How good is this gospel? Death is undone. So stand firm in this belief. Don't be moved from it. Live it out. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Because in Him it's not in vain. Thanks for listening to today's talk. The Evangelical Union, or EU, is a student club on campus at Sydney University that seeks to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. To join us or to find out more, please visit sydneyuneeu.org.